KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Good morning, Bob. Here we are in the uh, well, second week of September already. Yeah, Steve, uh, beautiful day in the Northland. Uh, we can feel just a hit of, hit of fall in the air, though, can we not? <laughs> yeah, and the days are certainly getting shorter. They seem to be uh, shrinking by uh, several minutes every day. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, nice forecast, though. We've mm-hmm. got the combination again of some bright sun and some rain and then some bright sun again. Is that correct? Yeah, we uh, could see some significant amounts of rain, from what I understand, on uh, Thursday and Friday, especially to our north, where they could get several inches of rain, I guess. It's been a little unusual, because yeah. far north, a little bit north of uh, the Twin Ports here, they've had all the rain they need. We could <laughs> use a little more in the Twin Ports, a little bit farther south, of course, they could use quite a bit more. Right. So, uh, But we really can't dial it in too precisely, and I guess we'll take what we can you know, it's kind of interesting, that rain coming Thursday, it does give us a wonderful opportunity today and tomorrow. Uh, we're just coming into early to mid-September here. This is the perfect time to be working on your lawn. Wow. At this, Yeah, at this particular time, if you're going to do it one time in the year, whether you're trying to control broadleaf weeds, whether you're trying to enhance and establish a new lawn, whether you're trying to just thicken up an existing turf area, this is the perfect time because... The uh, grass plants themselves are taking the photosynthase, the sugars, and they're producing underground rhizomes, which will mean a thicker lawn next spring, this fall and next spring, without a lot of additional just blade growth. So instead of doing a lot of mowing, this is the perfect time. We do need that combination of sun and rain. And from my perspective, this is uh, just about a perfect forecast coming up here, Dave. Yep, sounds good. That's for sure. We'll get our share of rain, and uh, we've certainly had some nice weather so far. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, it, we're looking forward. It's a little early, but we're looking forward to some nice fall color as well. We had, uh, again, that combination of rain and sunlight. This produces the, you know, the dominant green pigment, of course, is chlorophyll. This is that magic pigment that cake takes um, uh, some moisture and uh, oxygen out of the, or, uh, the carbon dioxide out of the air and produces oxygen as well as sugars. It is really responsible for all life as we know it on the face of the earth. That's the green pigment, of course. It masks the underlying carotenoids, anthocyanins. These are the colorful pigments, the yellows, the orange, the reds. Uh, they're all being masked by chlorophyll. The chlorophyll isn't quite as stable. It begins to break down. As you mentioned there, daylight gets a little bit shorter, temperatures get cooler, chlorophyll breaks down, and then it reveals these underlying pigments and all the nice fall color. However, uh, you got to build those pigments earlier in the season. That requires sunlight as well as adequate moisture, and we've had that good combination this year, Dave. So we figure a pretty good, uh, colorful uh, fall? Well, that's my feeling right now, and uh, you know, it's interesting, if you take a look at long-range forecasts, we all know some of the difficulty with forecasting the weather, but it uh, doesn't look like we're going to get a frost in the forecast, so this is all very good coming up here. Uh, we really need, because we got off to such a slow start with so many of our warm season crops, we really need a late frost and then warm temperatures right through the end of September and into October. And so far, the projections are for just that, Dave. That sounds good. I know the people growing tomatoes are hoping to see some uh, frost-free weather yet for a while. Well, it's interesting because we've got a lot of uh, green tomatoes that need to be ripened. And, you know, I I have a feeling we're just going to have an absolutely bountiful 
tomato year, but it's taking a little bit longer than we would, what we'd anticipated and hoped for. But, you know, on that same uh, topic, we are going to be doing a tomato fest, tomato and salsa fest. Mm -hmm. That'll be on October 20th, so we're going to give you plenty of time to ripen your tomatoes. It's an event uh, pre-COVID that we'd like to do where Master Gardeners cooperate with us, and they do a wonderful job of bringing dishes. We're going to have a little salsa contest. We're just going to have a lot of fun that goes along with that. But that'll be October 20th, the evening thereof, and we'll sample a lot of dishes. We'll give you some instruction on what we've learned this year about uh, the tomato crop, some new varieties, and some diseases, unfortunately, that we hadn't seen in a while. But we'll give you a heads up on all of that. Probably talk a little bit about food preservation, tomato preservation as well. So it's going to be a good time. That'll be October 20th. We'll remind people of that as we get closer to the date. All right. Another uh, slow-growing crop this year, at least for us, has been, what, corn, right? Yeah, sweet corn coming in now, finally. You know, the nice thing about that, Dave, is that we're holding sugars. So Mm. I I honestly think it's two things. It's one of the more challenging crops for us to grow because it obviously is a warm season crop. You can't go too early uh, because that corn will rot in the ground. And uh, we had, of course, snow in May. That made it difficult to getting getting in early. It takes a long time to mature. We need plenty of moisture. We need plenty of sunlight. But when it does come and it sets up, it holds its sugar. So I honestly feel that we can grow a better sweet corn crop than they can in southern Minnesota. I've made that comment before. and I've had people from a certain county and challenge me on that. And, uh, of course, uh, give them a half dozen years, and uh, they come back convinced that we can actually uh, grow a better sweet corn crop here than they can even in the southern part of the state. Well, who's to say? Who's the judge anyway, I think? Well, that's true, and you know everyone's got a little bit different uh, right. perspective on things. You know, we we've, we've got bicolor uh, sweet bicolor varieties, which are our favorites. But mm-hmm. it's very interesting. You know, out east, the white sweet corns have always been popular. That's beginning to creep into our market now too. So they're even later to mature. So I don't know. I know in the Twin Cities they're growing a lot of white corn now which kind of surprised me, mm-hmm. but uh, we're going to have to take another look and see if we got some early season whites and maybe give people a chance to uh, to try and sample those. So there's always something new under the sun. You know that, Dave. Yeah, give us a clue. What's the difference between white and yellow corn? I mean, uh, taste, crispness, what? Well, you know, uh, color is a perception, and uh, <laughs> a lot of people out east uh, think that the white corn is the sweetest. Okay. And, of course, uh, there was a time when uh, all yellow corn was field corn. Mm -hmm. And some of the first sweeter corns with the, you know, you have to have two things. You have to have the sugar content, then you have to have a tender, what we call pericarp. That's the skin that covers the kernels. And you have to have both. And there was a time when the first introduction of sweet corns with a tender pericarp and significantly enhanced sugar content they were all white initially. Ah. So at least at least uh, people thought, uh, well, if it's yellow, then it's going to be a field corn, which is pretty chewy and pretty tough and not very sweet. Uh, and uh, the sweet corns were all white. Then, of course, uh, the, the hybrid, hybridizers and the breeders came up with a, a real high-quality yellow sweet corn. And then we've had this combination. So we really have bicolors are our favorites in the upper Midwest, at least. And uh, this is a combination of both the white as well as the yellow and tender pericarp and very high sugar content. Sugar contents can run as high as 60%. Wow. But, you you know, Dave, it's a very interesting crop because 
Uh, people say, well, it's just sugar, and we got all kinds of sugar and too much sugar in our diet. It is very nutritious, so you get the benefit of something that tastes very good, but it's loaded with nutrition, it's loaded with fiber, it is a very, very nutritious crop. So if you got to satisfy your sweet tooth as well as we're all more conscious, we want better nutrition, uh, sweet corn's a great, great opportunity for folks. All right, we'll take our first break, Bob, and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show on the way, 925 now at KDAL. All right, write that number down, 722-0839 to get a hold of Bob Holden. If you got any gardening questions today as we're back with the Bob Holden Show, Bob, we're going to have uh, pumpkins ready for Halloween? Very definitely. They're coming along. That's why I had this bright sunshine today <laughs> for those of us getting in the Northland. And I might say you'll see these on the street corner, but uh, they all came from much farther south, some of them down uh-huh. in Illinois and uh, southern Wisconsin and into, into Iowa. But... Uh, Certainly, uh, our local crop is coming. We've got uh, many in ourselves. I know we've got other growers in the market that have brought them in. And we, um, you know, uh, we cheat a little bit. And when I say cheat, we try to put in transplants. It's a warm season crop. It's a crop you got to have ready by, uh, by late September, for sure, or into October. But uh, some of them come along, and they'll put transplants in, and I do it both ways. I direct seed, and then uh, I also use transplants because sometimes the seeding doesn't work, and sometimes uh, you never know with our springs. You can freeze off a transplant you put in. So I kind of uh, like to use both techniques, and and, uh, we've got a good crop coming. Things beginning mature, ripen. We're going uh, certainly from uh, light orange to deep orange. Mm -hmm. Some beautiful colors. And once again, you know, the thing that's so remarkable, it's a challenge to grow in this area. We have a short season. We did have snow in May. It was cold and, and damp. Uh, but uh, once we get going and get rolling, I think we can grow a higher quality crop. You mentioned pumpkins. If you take a look at the colors that we get, the nice, deep, rich orange. And, of course, now we've got a number of uh, novelty pumpkins, warty-fleshed uh, pumpkins, pumpkins that have different different colors, certainly pink and blue and white certainly and we've got different shapes we've got a new group called the stackers which are almost you take a pumpkin and if you can imagine if it was made out of sweet putty you squish it down and you get kind of a flat pumpkin that will stack vertically so they call them stackers and uh, we're growing all of those and there's so much variability uh, they're kind of uh, they're a very very interesting crop but they are a late season uh, warm crop uh, I might just mention people we've had questions from people they're vulnerable to a fungal disease called powdery mildew now it gives you kind of a powdery white film over the surface and uh, we never saw this before now that the climate's warming up a bit uh, we're beginning to see it it's always been a difficult disease for growers farther south and uh, once you see the disease you can't do much about it i know the big commercial growers use a lot of fungicides to keep it under control but um, it's not a ma- major problem for us, and in many cases, plants can grow out of it. We've got other fungi that are systemic that go through and actually kill the plant. This just kind of slows the growth down, and the new growth actually is able to uh, to grow through it. So I would call it kind of a, uh, it's a benign fungus. It actually looks worse uh, than it actually is to the plant, particularly if it attacks later in the season when a lot of the maturities actually occurred. So fungus, uh, fungus. Uh, can be a problem, but certainly the pumpkin crop is coming, Dave, and winter squash are coming. You know, we're at that point now where we have both summer squash. It should be zucchini and the patty pans and the scallops. And uh, 
They're nice in the definition, really, of a summer squash. It comes, obviously, earlier in the summer, but you can actually consume the, the skin, the entire squash. Winter squash, we're going to has a very tough rind on it. That's why it matures later, and it'll store through the winter because a very tough rind. With one exception, we don't consume that. We just scrape out the flesh. So acorns and buttercups and butternuts, they're all coming. Uh, again, very, very nutritious, and uh, many of those are ripe right now. Acorn tends to come in very early. We've got plenty of acorn coming in. Uh, butternuts, buttercups, uh, this whole... Uh, continuum of winter squash they're all beginning to mature including some of the great big hubbards some of the heirloom varieties so uh, we're coming along we do need a warm fall to get get them to reach maturity you know Dave it's interesting the longer we can go it's just like with a tomato crop the more sugars we build so the longer we can go until frost the better the, these fall crops are certainly going to be all right let's head to the phones Bob hi who's this hello John here hi John Hi, John. Yeah, hello. Hi, Bob. I think I ran into you about a week and a half ago. You said to call the show. Please do, and explain your situation there, John. Yeah, well, everything in my backyard is doing really good. Um, to start with, like early in the year, uh, it was a bad blackberry year. The, the tops died down where the, the, the berries would be. I think winter was too long, so I just cut them down, but the new stuff went like no tomorrow. So right. anyway, uh, just very few blackberries. It was excellent raspberry year. Um, my heritage did really good. Those are good berries. And then, um, so my beans, I have them in, uh, stacked in them round uh, cylinders, I guess you call them. And uh, Annie and I, we ate beans. Uh, <laughs> we never got tired because they were so good. I had... Uh, Vortex is a is a good one, and then Monte Gusto, and then I tried a new one this year called Seychelles, and that was a green one. And you pick them, and they're just a hair bigger than a pencil, and they're really really good. Oh, excellent, excellent, excellent! I might just uh, for our listeners, John does a great job, uh, grows a lot vertically. He's out in the woodland area, of Duluth, and uh, you got good full sun. You planned that uh, you. You know, you've got great nutrition there. You're using organic fertilizers, and uh, you've got adequate moisture. So sun moisture, good fertility, and then moving them up in a limited amount of space. He does a really, really nice job. Any particular problems this year, John? Um, not – I can't really think of anything. Uh, my my, um, my squash, now I have my buttercups crawling up that trellis that I made. They were about seven feet tall. And they did excellent. And even uh, the Hubbards, they had leaves. I call them elephant ears, bigger than I've had for many years. So, but things started slow, and then they just went crazy. And and then it was like a like a jungle out there. So, yeah, we're going to get good squash. But I can't really think of problems um, at all. Really, the only problem I might have had is I found out these little yellow birds like to pick on the leaves on the beets. My beets were dwindling, and then Annie's a farmer, so she said, oh, you got to cover the beets. So I had to put, a, like, a mesh over my beet plant so the birds wouldn't eat all the leaves. You ever heard of that one? Oh, uh, yes, I have. As a matter of fact, um, yeah, birds can be, uh, and sometimes that they're after, um, who knows, there may be some other insects uh, potentially there that the birds are after. So they can attack just about anything. I like the idea of mesh. 
you know, we've got the cabbage crop. Do you grow some of the cabbage family, uh, John? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I grew some. Yep. And they, they are coming. remember the name, but, uh, yeah, they're doing good. Yeah, we've got uh, our biggest pest. We talk about insects, imported cabbage worm, and, the, and just the, the uh, cabbage looper. Uh, very common pests. Uh, they're the immature form or the caterpillar form of the uh, cabbage moth. You see these uh, white and yellow moths. And, uh, you know, there are, we've got some biological controls. Uh, BT is a good biological control. But I think really a mesh on top that doesn't uh, prevent light from penetrating. So I think uh, some of these meshes, if you can get about an eighth inch mesh, I think uh, they can go a long ways. Bird protection as well as, uh, in this case, uh, insect problems. We can also use a very thin reme, which is a spun polyester. So I think people like to stay away from all chemicals. And I think you put the mesh on once, you don't have to worry about it if you've got... Uh, you know, if you're trying to use uh, chemicals for control of some of these insect pests, you have to make repeated applications, particularly the biologicals. They don't hang around for a whole long time, so you have to make repeated applications almost on a weekly basis. So I think going to some of these physical structures or physical pests is a good idea. You put it on once, it takes care of it for the season. Wouldn't you agree, John? Right, right, yeah. Um, I just go up to uh, Walmart where the sewing stuff is, them fabrics. And you get you can either get a green or a light light blue, and the light light blue uh, even looks better. But um, so I covered the beef with that. But now I also have to drape some over. I have uh, nine hanging strawberry bunches on my clothes poles. While the robins like to go in there, you know, when the berries are turning ripe. So ripe, uh, I put uh, the mesh over that, and then I just go out and pick about six, seven strawberries for breakfast and. Everything, everything's covered. <laughs> That's good. That's fantastic. Rather than fight it, just just work with it a little bit. And right. I think the fact that we've had good sunlight, but uh, uh, John does a very nice job. And with the high price of food these days, I think uh, nice payoff in the garden, huh, John? Oh yeah, I had uh, three more years of corn last night. I, mine is that sweet corn from Harris, and oh, it's really good. Sugar and gold and. Uh, that that I I actually have that for dessert after I have supper. That's how good it is. <laughs> That's just great, and it is it is like candy. There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, I, I was telling you. I was telling you when I when I met you before that um, I I am going to switch back my broccoli. We tried Bell Star this year, and it was real small, and it it just different color didn't taste as good. So I'm going back to Pac Man next year. And my cucumbers, I'm going back to straight eights, even though they don't get a lot of uh, a lot of the right flowers. Um, and I, we tried market more, and I didn't care a lot for the flavor. Flavors can certainly be different, and uh, you got to find what you're what you're happiest with. And yeah. you know my feelings on uh, on straight eight. It's fine uh, for three four years in a row, and then we can be attacked by scabies, a real difficult fungi. So. But Market Moore has a little disease package. You might try Dasher, too, but I, I think there are so many different types of cute varieties, and uh, you've got a pretty good handle on what works for you and what's flavorful. Don't you think, John, part of it's picking right at the peak of uh, a freshness as well? And, oh, uh, yeah, for sure, yeah. 
And then I got one more, one more thing to tell you. You're probably busy, but um, I've got about uh, six currant bushes, and they're red, and I get a lot okay. of currant. And they're really good uh, to freeze a bunch for put on your cereal in the winter. But one of my one of my plants this year put out clear see through berries, and, and I thought something was wrong. Well, I picked a half of ice cream bucket, and they are actually sweeter. They're not as uh, tart. Have you ever heard of this before? You know, I've seen some varieties. They call them golden, and maybe that uh, that was crossed in there a little bit. But oh. the red currants. Um, Currants are, um, yeah, they're really an underutilized crop. I think that and honeyberry. You know, we like to grow blueberries, strawberries, and raspberries, and you're doing those as well. But I think uh, currants, uh, the fact that they were nice and sweet, there's one called uh, Red Lake, which is a red currant. I'm not sure which variety that you've got. Uh, The downside of some currants, a lot of people juice them because they don't tend to develop the sugars that a blueberry with. But uh, your experience with these... Clear uh, Goldens has been uh, pretty positive, sounds like, John. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. It's, it is all yeah. it's all very good. Let me ask you, uh, fall, fall crops, uh, do you have fall crops that you really like to grow, uh, John? Well, I planted uh, a third row of, because uh, we like salads, um, a third row of radishes, and they're... They're probably almost just about done. So, I mean, we had them through all summer. We just go out and we pick lettuce, pick a couple radishes. You got your own salads. But uh, all I see now, sunflowers are just going crazy up there. And uh, I'll wait to pick the Hubbards and the Buttercups. Uh, I probably should pick one and see what they taste like. Yeah, you might uh, you might let those go a little longer just because we can, uh, as I mentioned, you're developing the sugars now. As long as the uh, plant itself is lush and green, you're getting good growth, you can trim out the extension of the plants because obviously anything that's blooming right now is is not going to mature for you. So the far end of the plant, you can trim that back, but you're still building sugars and uh, actually firming up that skin for something like a Hubbard, which will keep well through the entire season if it gets a chance to really fully mature. So I'd let those go a little longer, let them fully mature, but uh, you're doing a very, very nice job, and you're obviously passionate about it, and you got the right uh, right combination of different things. John, I, I was a pleasure uh, today, and I, I really appreciate the fact that you've uh, given us a call here today. Right, yeah, just one more thing. I, I, I forgot about the tomatoes. I've been picking, uh, they're just a hair smaller than a golf ball. They're called uh, Sweet Million. Those are really good tomatoes. Sweet Million's a wonderful variety. We're getting, uh, it is one of the sweeter. Some of the older cherry varieties are nice, but they're not quite as sweet. Sweet yeah. Million, there's Sweet 1000 out there and followed up by Sweet Million, but once again, they're indeterminate plants, so the fact that you've got a lot of trellis systems you run them up the trellises i think for a cherry tomato that's an excellent way to grow those okay thanks, thanks much Bob. yeah Thank appreciate you, the call Rick. wow that's great that's in the kind of a neat deal i mean it's good to sample things to find out what you like and you can always change next year if you're not excited with what you're growing this year well you know what's fun about this uh, there are literally talks about tomatoes yeah i was asked for my favorite tomatoes and i had a short time to come up with a list I counted 1,500, 1,500 <laughs> varieties wow. in the catalogs in front of me. 
And I understand there are ten times that fifteen thousand tomato varieties out there. So find something. There you go. Something that you really enjoy, and then let it sweeten. And you mentioned the squash, and we look at uh, melons and tomatoes. We really have to get the sugar content. That takes a little bit of time. Good sun, good moisture. Got that nice combination. Late fall, late frost. Keep them working on that for us, and we're going to get some extraordinarily high quality, uh, warm season crops. Fun to talk with John. He does a nice yep. job. He's passionate about it and uh, does a very, very nice job growing. And we'll be back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up, 944 now at KDAL. All right, more of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday, the 13th of September. Uh, Bob, we had a caller talking about the birds eating the leaves off what I think it was, uh, what, beets? I know the birds have their uh, way with my apples, too, I noticed. I always thought, hey, there's a little wormhole, but I think it's just a, a bird pecking away at those things. Uh-oh, did we lose Bob? I think we did. <laughs> 848, the Bob Olin Show on the way. We'll talk more with Bob as soon as he uh, returns. Hey, Cletus, why don't we go down to the old fishing hole today? Oh, I can't, Skeeter. Me and the wife have to go to two separate stores to pick up hardware supplies and home decor. Well, why don't you head down to Seagrin's Home Hardware Outdoors? They have hardware, home decor, and even our bay for fishing. Well, that's a fine idea, Skeeter. It may say hardware on their store, but look inside, there's so much more. Just a short drive up the North Shore to beautiful Two Harbors, Seagrin's Home Hardware Outdoors. Call 218-834-2222. All right, I think we got Bob back at uh, 949. Hi, Bob. Hello, Dave. Can you hear me now? (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yeah, I was talking about the birds picking up my apples in the tree. Yes, I heard your comment. You just couldn't hear my response. Oh, no. Uh, We do get... uh, a lot of blue jays, as beautiful as they mm-hmm. are, they seem to find that those apples bright red in color, and uh, <laughs> you have to kind of uh, get at them before the birds do. Or you can drape uh, uh-huh. netting. I think the nettings are, and you can find some material that's dedicated, uh, a little more expensive, some of the horticulture grades, but I find that uh, you can also find just netting going to your uh, your local uh, even the big box hardware stores sure. or smaller hardware stores, sometimes you can find netting if that's possible. You've got a great big Harrelson that's going to be kind of yeah. tough. You're going to just, I think, have to share some of that right. crop. You've got enough crop, you, Dave? Yeah, they don't eat much anyway. It's just a, a little peck here and there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if you're making applesauce or if you're making pies, uh, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> there you, you go. Yeah, it's a, it certainly is a bumper crop for sure. They're not very big at this point, but uh, there's a whole lot of them. Yeah, oftentimes we will see that when there's tremendous fruit set. Mm. Uh, there's only so much energy to go around, and the fruit tends to be just a little bit smaller, uh, larger fruit. You know, there's uh, in the commercial side, there's a real science to this, so they know exactly mm. how much fruit any given tree can support to give them the size apples that they really want. And of course, you know, you walk into a grocery store, and you think this is just magic because everything's there and it's perfect and uh, yeah. uh, the consumer gets a little spoiled. It doesn't come out of the field that way. Uh, we've got commercial growers that, you know, it's their livelihood. They really pay attention to all these details. And then in this country, at least, uh, you know, the, 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 we've got a broker that sits there at a computer and he looks for something. If he can get it from Minnesota, fine. If he can get it from uh can't get it in Minnesota. Maybe it comes from Iowa. Maybe it comes from Oregon. Maybe it comes from Mexico. Uh, all kinds of options. But it doesn't always just happen. There always are challenges of all types. And that's the great thing about being a producer. Get in there and produce it yourself, and it, it gives you an appreciation 
uh, for the abundance that we have out there because it comes with some challenges. But, you know, Dave, in those challenges, there's also a lot of fun. Can we talk a little bit more about veggies, maybe? Do we have a moment? you got as many moments as you need. <laughs> well, it's kind of fun. You know, we're coming into the fall season. I mentioned the lawns and landscapes. Uh, it's a tremendous time there. We're getting our fall crop the uh, in, in the uh, cabbage family. This can be cabbage. It can be uh, cauliflower. It can be broccoli, kohlrabi. Now, there's a crop that's uh, actually it's a very ancient crop, but the breeder's done such a nice job. We've got some great kohlrabi. For folks that are not familiar with it, you get this great big bulb, and now some of the newer varieties can get very large. They can get 10, 12, 15 pounds by weight, and they're nice and they're solid. Uh, the kohlrabi can be it's very, very versatile, very, very nutritious. Uh, some people will say it tastes like an apple. It has a sweet flavor. Eaten raw, it has kind of a sweet, almost peppery taste a little bit there, so you can taste a little bit of the cabbage family. Very nutritious. People use it as a snacking food, so they'll get a large kohlrabi, they'll cut off a few slices, maybe a little salt on it, and just consume it that way. Uh, they'll put it in a fry pan with their eggs in the morning, they'll cook it up that way, and then take a few slices off, maybe cover it with saran wrap or something, back into the fridge, and it'll last for a very, very long time. So kohlrabi is a crop that's surprisingly surprised me a little bit that the public is now beginning to gravitate toward that crop, which is all good because uh, this cabbage family, which grows so well for us in the fall here, easier to grow the cabbage family now than it is mid-season, and we try to get capture a little bit of both, but I'll tell you, the summer months can be hard on a, on a crop like this. It really loves cool weather, so coming into the fall like this, uh, we're seeing the cauliflower crop. Lots of innovation. You know, Dave, we're seeing color in, uh, in all of these crops. And I look sometimes at the many crops that I've been able to grow, and I look at the brilliant colors. There's red, there's green, obviously. And then now uh, the purples are coming on so strong. And it was just a couple years ago that we would have these chefs that would combine all the colors, and they'd say, go ahead and eat the rainbow. I was a big fan of that concept because... When you're eating all the different colors, you're getting this incredible balance of nutrients. Uh, there's nothing like eating the actual product that rather than taking a vitamin out of a, a you know, out of a capsule that came from a pharmaceutical company, just eat the rainbow. And I, I like that concept. Uh, everything from carrots, which are orange, to tomatoes, which are red, all different beets. Beta aniline, it's a, uh, it's a very unique antioxidant that's in red beets, which John mentioned is beets. Those different colors. Now you know we have a we have a new side of the theme coming along, and the chefs I guess are pushing this at some of the more exotic restaurants. And this is uh, what they call monochromatic eating, where they want you to stay to one color. Purple is the one in particular that's gained a lot of attention. We now have some beautiful purple cauliflower that'll be coming in in the fall. I mentioned kohlrabi. We now have got uh, purple kohlrabi. The purple potatoes, which we have in right now, have become a a great big fan. So we now have a few chefs that have uh, have gone this what they call monochromatic, uh, where they're using just one color. So serve an entire uh, banquet of vegetables that are all just one color. Uh, if you take red, you've got the red tomatoes. You've got certainly uh, 
red peppers that are, are ripening up. We got radishes. So they will stick to just one particular, particular color and they call it monochromatic. You know, I always, they've got a kick out of folks that would photograph every meal when uh, <laughs> Facebook and other social media came up. And uh, I thought that was kind of hilarious in a way. But now I find myself, if I put together a nice meal that looks beautiful, I don't share it with the world, but I do like to snap a picture of some of the beautiful produce that's coming out of the gardens right now. Speaking of that, uh, tomorrow it's Farmer's Market. Absolutely. Uh, we're coming along Wednesday, and I've said it before, Wednesdays are a great time to shop at the Duluth Farmer's Market, and that is East Hillside, 14th Avenue, East and 3rd, 14th and 3rd, 2 to 5 in the afternoon, uh, for a couple of reasons. It's an afternoon market, and uh, it's not nearly as crowded, but it's not nearly as crowded. We've actually got more product because there have been four days since people harvested for the uh, for the Saturday market, which is a great big market. So you got all of this product to choose from, and you will get that rainbow of colors there on the benches. It's, uh, it's really a fun time. And once again, you know, it's family-friendly. We've got tokens for the kids. That's become very, very popular. $2 free token. Just bring your child in, input through 18 and our market just gives you that $2 token. You can spend it any one of the booths, and the kids have a great time. We're trying to encourage better health, better eating with our young people, better eating with all of us, actually. It's a challenge for all of us in this fast food nation. And uh, just getting back to the original real high quality. So many people beginning to realize that really good food has good flavors, and it's much, much healthier for us than some of the other options out there. So Duluth Farmer's Market, 14th Avenue East, Wednesdays 2 to 5, and, of course, a great time on Saturdays with all kinds of music and festivity. That goes from 8 until noon. Great time, nice response. We'll pass that cover area, and people are just coming out in the droves. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Bob, and we'll catch you back here again next Tuesday. My pleasure, and thanks for our callers. It's been fun as always. I just love to interact with people and uh, learn from everyone as we learn from each other. Thank you, Dave.